All opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not of the organisations supporting this episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast We Transform Lives. This podcast delves into the extraordinary impact of social entrepreneurship and the business innovations driving change. The series is brought to you by Transform, a unique accelerator programme led by Unilever, the UK's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office and EY, which unites corporates, donors, investors and academics to support visionary impact enterprises. We tell the story of six entrepreneurs and their innovative business solutions driving social and environmental change in communities across Africa, South Asia and beyond. This podcast showcases how powerful solutions being created in communities for communities by social entrepreneurs have the power to change the world, if they're scaled and supported in the right way. I'm your host, Ruthie Shah, and in this episode, we're heading to Kenya to learn more about a company which has found success in sustainability. In a country struggling with excess uncollected waste and terrible waste working conditions, Mr Green Africa is trading recyclable materials while achieving tangible social and environmental impact. Founded in 2014, its founders were looking for a solution to prevent the growing mountains of plastic waste in Nairobi and to integrate the tens of thousands of informal waste collectors into a plastics processing value chain. And joining me to tell us all about it is one of the founders, Kieran Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everybody. So it'd be wonderful to start off and get to know you a little bit better before we delve into Mr. Green Africa and the journey there. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your journey growing up? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I have mixed background. So my mom is Swiss and my dad is African-American. So uh, lucky enough for me, I, I was able actually to grow up in, in Switzerland, a bit of a smaller market, a bit more uh, equal conditions, especially when you look from an education perspective. I wouldn't say it wasn't very special or extraordinary upbringing. I was able to just go through the normal school education system in Switzerland and ended up in, uh, funny enough, in banking. And how do you go from what's quite a traditional career in banking to something that's pretty progressive? Yeah, being in the bank and, and being able to advance my professional career there, I realized that my, my impact in, in, in society and, and looking at the world problems was, was very limited. You know, and not, not to say that the financial industry doesn't have a lot of um, opportunities still to impact uh, the world to the positive. But uh, in my position at that time as a junior, you know, I just joined when the financial crisis uh, really started. Um, and so also the, the, the banking sector was in a tremendous amount of shift. So my curious mind led me to my first, starting my first business together with a couple of friends in Switzerland, which is called Mr. Green uh, as well. Um, and, and that is basically a convenience service in Switzerland, picking um, and enabling households to do it a bit more efficient, a bit more fair and inclusive. And that was a whole new entrepreneurial journey. So I was actually a part-time entrepreneur during that time. And it was became very clear and very evident to me that I want to do something more in this space, A. And B, um, being an entrepreneur, I'm actually sitting in a driver's seat and I can much quicker uh, change the environment, you know, um, obviously either for the better or for the worse, but in our case, for the better. Um, and so that was very inspiring. And, and I started seeking new opportunities in Switzerland um, while at the same time, you know, in, in my job in, in banking, I, I was reading a lot about next frontier markets, Africa in particular. And it made me very curious because I would read about diaspora, Ghanaians, Kenyans, uh, Nigerians, 
that who move back and start businesses from scratch. Usually, you know, the, the picture that we get about Africa, you know, as a country, although it's a huge continent, is that it's either very poor, disenfranchised, etc. The, the negative stories, basically. Um, and, and reading these positive stories, especially from an entrepreneurial mind, made me very, very curious. So I took up the opportunity when a friend of mine, uh, who's Kenyan, said, hey, I'm going to Kenya, do you want to join me? Um, and I said, of course, I want to join you. And that was 2012. And the whole new world opened to me, you know, um, many opportunities in many sectors. And of course, because of my background with Mr. Green in Switzerland and understanding that waste has value, the biggest opportunity that stood out and that was closest to home was waste or plastic waste lying around. We've had a previous conversation where you talk about your mother being an inspiration. So tell me more about who or what, in this case, perhaps it is your mother, that got you on this journey to also tackle waste specifically? I think my mom had more of an influence on, on, on what we today call social enterprise or, you know, a, a new way of, of a capitalistic thinking, you know, a more equal way of how we distribute uh, value across value chains that are less exploitive. So I rem- remember very vividly that she was very um, intentional about purchasing um, products, you know, for example, bananas or, or tea that were f- fair trade or Max Havelar in, you know, as, as far back as I can think. So her consumer behavior of conscious purchasing and kind of like voting on the, with your money on the teller was, was there in, in my life very early on. We mentioned how it started, but how has it evolved and what's been particularly poignant for you in terms of realizing this is a success moment? in the country in which I'm operating, which in this instance is Kenya. Let me take a step back. You know, uh, I want to mention that, you know, the core of Mr. Green Africa today is actually still based on the foundation of the idea when we founded Mr. Green Africa. It's based on two key principles. Number one is, um, can we build a business that basically adapts and modifies the principles of fair trade um, or inclusive way of responsible sourcing of the plastic waste. Uh, in our case, you know, when you look at agribusiness value chains, you have smallholder farmers who harvest bananas and grow coffee, grow tea, or pick the tea leaves, etc. And, and those folks are mostly um, marginalized or kind of dependent on the value chain. Uh, and usually, especially if it's not fair trade, they should get the short end of the stick. See that waste pickers, for example. Uh, are basically smallholder farmers who harvest every day. Yeah. So the root and the, the foundation of the business and principle number one was based, can we adapt this inclusive, this responsible way of sourcing plastic waste from waste pickers, um, just the way uh, fair trade value chains do it in agri uh, supply chains. Yeah. So that was principle number one. And then principle number two is, can we really focus on local value addition? So redistributing the value and creating the value in the country of origin. Many commodities today still, unfortunately, um, they are being grown in, in countries, in African countries, but the value addition where the real value is, cre- is created is outside of that country of origin. And that fundamentally was not how we see how it should be happening. And so the, the, the push for local value addition was very key to us. And, and not only is it key to create jobs in the country, et cetera, and advance the country, but it's also key to be closer to where the source of the, the raw materials are and redistribute the value upstream to the people who add the most value. Someone's going to throw some plastic away, they're finished with it, it's done. You know, they don't need it anymore. Exactly 
what does Mr. Green Africa do if we take this one piece of plastic and we're following its journey to to help the local community and beyond? To understand this a little bit more where the value of Mr. Green Africa really lies is that we have to understand that in, in many countries in the global south, waste collection or the waste collection infrastructure as we would know it in Europe or in the US is a bit different. There is waste collection happening from households, but there's also waste collection happening in different low-income communities. There is also still no waste collection happening. You know, It could be because the low-income communities cannot afford waste collection, and what ends up happening is they litter it uh, on the streets or in some mini dump sites, etc. So there's a lot of waste pollution happening. So that's number one, right? And as a result of that, and because we have um, a, a wide range of income brackets of, of people op- operating in the society, you have certain people who are very smart people who realize I can create a livelihood by picking out the trash that is being littered that has value and selling it on. Yeah. So, and, and this informal value chain, because it changes hands so often, it is very exploitive or, or very, you know, um, unfair or intransparent, if you will, and also because of inefficiencies, is very volatile in pricing. So what we as Mr. Green Africa do is we're basically offering an alternative, a better way to sell these raw materials that they collect into a better platform. Yeah. So we're, we have pretty much like buyback centers across the whole nation where waste pickers can come and sell uh, their plastic waste and sell it on at a better price, at a more fair price, a more transparent transaction. And then it goes into the next stage where we process this waste in a central factory into a high quality recyclate uh, that can go back into um, indus- industrial plastic supply chains. And in terms of those successes, I mean, how did it start off? How did you actually get people on board? on each stage of that supply chain. We did a bit of research before we obviously approached the market. And and one of the key things that we did is we asked recyclers in Europe what they think of the idea and how they would approach it, right? And of course, number one, they said, we would never do this. And then we had to double down and ask, okay, if you had to do it, how would you start it? And what they mentioned was that you always have to start at the source. So you recycle the recycling or the business of recycling. It, it has no value if you don't have access to sustainable and reliable way of sourcing the plastic waste. Yeah. Uh, and so the way we approach it and, and had to break it down is, okay, so where can we position ourselves to create a value proposition for waste pickers in the market who already have access and collect plastic waste today? And so it's kind of like a reverse sale approach. We had to convince waste pickers that we are the best option in the market to sell their plastic waste to. And the best option is not just because of price. It's obviously a key factor, but it's not only price. It's also a more dignified way of interacting with, 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 with waste pickers on the ground, a more transparent way of how we can track. A simple example, most informal traders, they use analog scales that can be tampered with. We use digital scales. So the, the platform of how the transaction can happen in a reliable way in a fair way, in a transparent way, is what we created value for. And that allowed us to obviously spread like wildfire, you know, um, to waste pickers who realize, hey, look, it's, it's a nature, it's a human nature to always get the best value out of, of a value proposition that you get in the market, right? And if there's a player there that, that serves that, um, it goes very quick. But bearing in mind that, you know, there's that base in Nairobi and, and sort of elsewhere, why did the local community decide to engage with you? How did you build trust? Well, first of all, uh, I want to mention that although we have 
done some really, we have created a lot of success and validated a lot of our value proposition towards the community. There's much more we can do. Yeah. So I would say we're not, we're not finished in our work. What really built trust to your question is that we were very intentional about our position. So we didn't, you know, we didn't do a lot of research, you know, we didn't ask thousands of questions for years um, to figure out if we we're going to do it. We just started, you know, we, we just started with our own biotech centers. We set it up. We started buying at a fair price of, of basically delivering immediately the value proposition that we had in mind. And then in a dynamic way, we started learning, you know, and we took feedback from the community. A funny early failure that we had is, for example, that we thought it would be so nice and it makes so much sense to buy protective gear for waste pickers. They would value that so much. For us, it makes a lot of sense, right? Hazardous environment and Gloves would make the job easier and gumboots would make the job easier as well. So we launched early 2015, we launched an initiative. So waste pickers who bring X amount of kgs, they unlock a certain uh, package of protective gear, you know, overall gloves, gumboots, etc. And we felt very, really great because some of them achieved it and we handed them over. We made nice photos, you know, we felt great about ourselves. But uh, the following day, those waste pickers, they didn't show up with the protective gear, so they sold it, you know? And, and what does that mean is they value more the money than the, they value their own health. So our failure was trying to understand, okay, the intention we had was them, them wearing it and using it for the job, but they didn't. So what can we do better? And so sitting down and understanding it and tre- tweaking it and tweaking the value proposition towards that was building that trust. And I think doing that year over year over the last uh, seven years um, has enabled us to really build a strong position in, in the market with waste pickers and informal players. It means that, you know, we're serious, we're here to stay, and um, they know that we're here to listen. So their their feedback is welcome then where we can change we will change and adjust you cannot be doing this alone like you do need those people who are on the ground um you know who know the communities well who've grown up in the communities since they were young the grandmothers the fathers the everybody there are there any particular characters that have really seen a bit of a life change because of being involved with mr green africa that you'd be able to give us a little bit more information about yeah of course i mean let's start with just core employees you know i mean me being a, a foreigner from Switzerland, you know, in deep diving into um, Kenyan context, Kenyan culture, communication skills, etc. I mean, uh, I, of course, I wouldn't have been able to do it without uh, a strong team members who truly believed into um, the cause, the, 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 the cause of and the, the mission of Mr. Green Africa, the purpose of what we want to do. So we were super blessed with having, you know, great skilled people. Um, that contribute with their with their with their knowledge, with their passion, with their skills, and engaging with the community and become. You know, we're, we we consider ourselves to be a Kenyan company. It's, we started with one employee, and now we're at at 130. Right. So all those folks um, from production workers uh, who are still with us. You know, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are still since day one. So you can really see how they appreciate how we've gone through this this kind of transformation of becoming from a startup to now a scale-up business. Yeah? So that's one. And then uh, we have instances with, with waste pickers as well. There's one particular instance where we have uh, a waste picker lady who is who, now an employee of Mr. Green Africa, right? So the transition from being a supplier, getting paid per kilo, to now being so involved um, into you know, getting a full-time job with Mr. Green Africa. So these kind of interactions and transitions are, are 
speaking to the fact that you know we're so very much in, in, ingrained and entrenched in, in the the value chain in the community uh, where we create opportunities. So and, and that's obviously one of the, the key passions that keeps us driving and pushing for for becoming bigger, better. Fantastic. And let's head on to the Transform Initiative and how there's been that collaboration with Mr. Green Africa. How has it helped you? Like what journey have you gone on using Transform? When we look at the journey of Mr. Green Africa and and, and how we started, right? We started with collection. We started with some transformation of, of plastic waste into low quality recyclate, etc. And we were super blessed to have the, the opportunity to be exposed to, to Unilever and, and start a partnership very early on in 2016 uh, and creating a joint vision of how can we create high quality recyclate locally produced, locally collected, and bring it back into the packaging. And and those conversations, they led to us to, to also talk to the Transform team. And even today, I would argue, you know, we're not finished with building the business. You know, we have this ambidextrous growth company. On one hand, we have proven a core business where we buy plastic waste from waste pickers, we transform it into high quality recyclate, and we sell it back into um, industrial supply chains and, and, and brand owner supply chains. But that's core business. There's still many layers that we can build on. And, and one of the key things that we started working on with Transform that allowed us to be a bit more experimentative about how can we build the business? How can we further develop the business? And that especially is on the collection side. So today, when we look at collection and we look at the waste space in general in, in many global South countries, but also Kenya, is you have on one side, you have an informal market that is already engaged into picking waste that has value, selling it on into the informal supply chains, etc., um, where Mr. Green Africa is a big market player in. But if we look at the grand scheme of the, the, the things and the macros, today, this informal market, if we're generous, can maybe capture 20% of all the waste that is being collected. So the 80% is what is being littered, you know, is going into into the oceans, into the rivers, into the environment that you can see as kind of the pollution. Our thesis is that the only way to tackle these other 80% is to also engage the waste producers, i.e. the consumers. And when we pitched this to the Transform team and said, look, we would love to experiment around this space. How can we also incentivize consumers? How can we make consumers part of the value chain? That Transform funding enabled us to take that risk and experiment around that, that basis. So we now have two collection channels that we call it. One is the continuous informal channel that we continue to improve, create fair trade transactions and, you know, improve the livelihoods and try to move waste pickers from, you know, um, below minimum wage into minimum wage into living wage. But then we also have the formal channel, you know, where we try to incentivize consumers, high income and low income consumers can engage and bring back plastics and in return get what we call green points. So an incentive system. And with these green points, they can buy products and services again. The foundation of this model that we're now building and and trying to scale is coming from the Transform uh, funding. And it wasn't just about the funding. So it wasn't just about money. It was also about advice. Is that right? There's obviously a relationship between Transform and Unilever. So, you know, it all tied back into the broader vision of Mr. Green Africa and Unilever together, uh, advancing and creating first packaging made out of 100% recyclate in the Kenyan market, right? So going through this transition to buy locally, to process locally and bring it back into into a packaging for Unilever, that, that you know, that takes a lot of engagement with different stakeholders within a big um, corporation, yeah? And I think just this, this collaboration on that level and the vision, the joint vision, enabled us to have access and have the support 
um, in, in, both, in both ways, within Mr. Green Africa, but also uh, from Unilever towards Mr. Green Africa. And I think this is just a holistic partnership enabled from that relationship. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, the other thing that's quite exciting about Mr. Green Africa is that you're the first recycling company to be a certified B Corporation on the actual African continent. How important is this certification? And do you think others are going to be able to follow your lead? Well, certainly we hope that others will follow the lead. What we try to show here is we want to make a statement that it's possible. Um, you know, uh, you can create a viable an inclusive and a local business um, that can, you know, meet global standards, global aspirational standards. And at the core of the business, when we think back of the two principles, you know, we believe that business as a force for good is the most effective, the most sustainable way um, to change our environment, you know, be it socially, be it environmentally. And and so it was very close to our hearts to, to make that statement. Awesome. And while we're talking about this element of being a force for good, What's the future for Mr. Green Africa, both again globally and where you're based in terms of that local community? What's next? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of things still to do. As I mentioned, we still continue to building as we uh, strengthen the core of the business. But I think the key milestone for us is now coming from a minimum viable industrial scale that we have today to a, a full scale blown uh, recycling business. Yeah, so kind of like this transition from startup to 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 fast growth and scale up to commercialization of the Mr. Green Africa blueprint. Yeah. Uh, and what do I mean by the Mr. Green Africa blueprint is this state of the art, what we call, you know, a flagship recycling factory with this informal collection system that we've built that is inclusive, that is transparent. You know, the combination of the two things is basically the success factor. That's what we are trying to now replicate. So one is a big milestone is kind of landing this flagship factory of, of 20,000 tons of processing capacity every year, expanding our collection system that I mentioned on the consumers. So also bringing the consumers into the channels of being able to supply into a, re- a functional recycling system, and then replicate this blueprint across different regions in the global south. Because we believe anywhere where we have waste pickers, where we have not very functional waste collection infrastructure and systems, we can offer a value proposition that is, you know, um, viable, sustainable, inclusive, and of course, environmentally friendly because we uh, avoid more plastic pollution. So that's really the, the, the future growth of how we see replicating the Mr. Green Africa blueprint. And that doesn't have to be just Mr. Green Africa. This can be in collaboration with other like-minded companies. And then on a community basis towards our race pickers, there's also still a lot of things to do. You know, I think we built a good foundation, but, you know, talking of living wage and minimum wage, trying to come up with a KPI that allows us to say each waste picker has a true fair possibility to earn a living wage in the value chain. This is a sectoral approach that we want to take, you know. So, again, not just Mr. Green Africa. We're not the, the, you know, the silver bullet. We're the lead bullet. You know, we have a lead bullet of uh, that it's possible, but we're not going to solve this problem just as one entity. So we need a whole sector, a whole ecosystem that needs to change. We need to make the informal market part of that, those solutions. So the work around how do we do that? You know, how do we um, include waste pickers at scale? How do we measure it? How do we measure transition from below minimum wage into minimum wage into living wage? Um, leading that work is something that we're very passionate about and, and want to continue doing on, on the community uh, level. Wonderful. And what would be your one piece of advice, a takeaway, as it were, 
for people who are looking to get into business, other entrepreneurs as well? Well, I would say two stages. So in a very early stage as an entrepreneur and you're just about to get started, etc., uh, there's two pieces of advice. Number one, be very clear about your own value systems yeah, uh, of how you intend to engage with community, with, with your environment, etc. So because there will be many tough decisions that are ahead of you. And so the more you're closer and clear about your own value system, you'll be empowered to make the right decisions for yourself. Yeah. So value system is number one. And number two is really ensure you get a good set of people, passionate people, just as yourself, um, about the topic uh, involved early on. You know, um, if we did the mistake, for example, that we hired cheap and it became expensive later. And so this one thing I would do differently is that I would hire or surround myself early on with really skilled people who, are, who can go into the trenches with me to avoid many mistakes and make tough decisions together. Two pieces of advice for, for early stage founders and entrepreneurs. And then um, for, for later stage, I think it's really important that you align yourself with the right set of investors. We were very blessed to find the right set of investors, right set of partners who have a long-term view on, on, on the big challenge we're trying to solve, you know, socially and environmentally. And, and having that joint goal, that joint vision and that joint understanding will really set the path, uh, set you on the right path to overcome the barriers that you face. Thank you so much to Kieran Smith for such an inspiring and in-depth conversation. It's been fantastic to learn so much about Mr. Green Africa and I wish you all the luck with your future plans. Thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and subscribe to it wherever you find your podcasts. If your business is interested in being part of the Transform Initiative and supporting impact enterprises, or if you're striving for change and would like to work with experts to develop your business, visit our website, www.transform.global. I'm Druthi Shah. Thank you for joining us today. And remember that together we can tackle global challenges and transform lives through enterprises that drive impact.